What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're recording late on Wednesday night after the Celtics with a thrilling win in overtime over the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we'll get to that in just a second here. We are going to chat with my buddy Kyrie Thompson, get into this situation with the Patriots. It continues to be a fascinating one. What's going to happen with Bill Belichick? They haven't made an announcement yet one way or the other. Things got fascinating now that Mike Vrabel's available. Could he be the next Patriots coach? So we got into all that with Kyrie Thompson. But before I get into the Celtics, I did want to mention briefly the Red Sox. This continues to be an absolutely horrible offseason for the Red Sox. Now, if they do something big, they're running out of options here. If they make a big trade or something along those lines, things could change. But this has been embarrassing, right? So now, the Red Sox have decided to cancel the town hall event at Winter Weekend. Now, remember, this is when last year, ownership Anheim Bloom were booed. The only one that was getting cheered up there on the stage was Alex Cora. Everybody else was getting booed. This year, according to the Red Sox, Winter Weekend will be a, quote, welcome event that'll be hosted by Jonathan Papelbon. The fr- this is the Friday night event. The Friday night event will open with the introduction of the 2024 players and coaches, followed by the Cinco Ocho show with Jonathan Papelbon in a late night talk show style segment. Okay, this is according to the Red Sox. The release also said that he'll be with Tom uh, Tom Karen and Papelbaum will lead a conversation about the upcoming season and the state of the club. Okay, so this is where I'm at with this. So ownership is not taking questions, okay, like they did last year because they know what the consequences are going to be, right? They finish last again. Tom Warner comes out in the offseason and he says, full throttle, they've added Lucas Giolito and Tyler O'Neill. This was the full throttle approach that ownership promised the Red Sox fan base. 
It's a fucking joke to begin with, but the fact that on Wednesday, we get this announcement from the Red Sox, hey, we're going to do things differently this year. We're doing the whatever it is, Jonathan Papelbon show. We're not going to have this Q&A town hall thing. We know how badly it went last year. It's going to be even worse this year, so we don't want to do it. We're just not going to do it. But you know what they would have done? We know this. If Teoscar Hernandez and Yamamoto were signed to the offseason or they had picked up Jordan Montgomery, who's still out there and he wants a bunch of money and a bunch of years and all that, I totally understand this. But if they had landed an ace and if they had landed Teoscar Hernandez, the bat that we were talking about for weeks here, that they needed that right-handed power bat, which they still need. I'll get to that in a second here. If they got some of these things, you know what would still exist? The town hall meeting. But because they've done shit and we were promised full throttle, they don't want to answer questions. It's just embarrassing. And to put this out in the release, like it's this, oh, this is this great idea. We have the Jonathan Pavelbon show. Yeah, can't wait for that. Okay, cannot wait for that. It's just embarrassing. And it's soft by the ownership group that they don't want to listen and answer questions. I mean, come on, just ridiculous. That's like what we want to hear at the winter meetings is what the fuck are you guys doing? And this is what we get instead. It's just an absolute joke. By the way, Jorge Soler is still out there. Right in a power bat you need. 512 slug, 16th in baseball, 262 isolated power, 12th, OPS 17, 36 home runs tied for 11th, 48% hard hit rate, balls off the bat, 95 plus was 30th. The barrel percentage, he barreled up 15% of his batted balls, 14th in Major League Baseball. The launch angle, really good, 17.8 degrees, hence the barrel numbers, 18th. Okay, so there's still a righty out there that could help this team. Does anybody have faith they sign him? I hope I'm wrong. I hope they do. But this is the guy they need right now. All these other guys we've named throughout the offseason, all these problems we've identified, they've done nothing besides add Tyler O'Neill and Lucas Giolito. And now they're getting ready for the big winter weekend. And guess what? Ownership isn't answering your questions. Totally on brand for the way things have been over the past couple of years for this Red Sox ownership group. Just a utter embarrassment incredibly soft Charmin that's what it is it is so soft that they're dealing with everything this way just embarrassing oh by the way I should mention this before we get into the Celtics how about the bombshell that Nick Saban's retiring I'm like what this guy just made it to the college football playoff I guess it's not that he went out on top right he didn't win a national championship but he got back he beat Kirby Smart who had been beating him and Kirby Smart had been winning national championships but I was shocked that I saw that that Nick Saban retired unbelievable Nick Saban hanging him up seven national championships at the collegiate level so just crazy I saw Mac Jones putting some stuff on Instagram forgot oh yeah Mac Jones played for Nick Saban remember the Mac Jones guy but hey man crazy and I thought Saban was actually like people talk about his NFL career I thought he was a good coach when he was with the Dolphins like he gave the Patriots issues when he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins it's just it's tough to pass up on that job at Alabama and remember they had the medicals the Dolphins did on Drew Brees and the Dolphins doctor said, no, you can't sign him like the shoulder is damaged goods. So Drew Brees goes to New Orleans. Miami ends up with Dante Culpepper. Think about that. If Saban gets Drew Brees, what does his NFL career look like? Does he even ever become the head coach at Alabama? Because Drew Brees, as we all know, is a first ballot Hall of Famer in the NFL. So it's kind of crazy to think about it. And from a Patriots perspective, it's awesome that they didn't identify the medical stuff, the shoulder correctly in Miami because the Patriots got this easy division for years and you were to have to have dealt with Nick Saban and Drew Brees. I guess in some sense it would have been an awesome rivalry, but 
I don't want to go too much down that. I want to get into the Celtics here because they respond after that controversial loss. Still shocked, by the way, that in that game against Indiana, they doubled down on the last two-minute report. They doubled down on their call that was, hey, it was the right call. There wasn't a foul on Jalen. Now, they did in the two-minute report say that Porzingis should have been shouldn't have been called for that foul on Matherin. Okay, so it should have been an overtime game. I still I don't understand. Like, okay, I get it if you if it's unintentional contact, but Buddy Heald hit Jalen in the head, then he hit the ball, and Jalen didn't shoot right away. Like he came back down and shot it, right? Like he shot it on the way down. So I, I don't understand how that's not a foul. But anyway, Buddy Heald also said he had the Angels with him. I, I really don't know what they did when they decided to review that. I don't know how that wasn't a foul. But nonetheless, the Celtics respond in a major way on Wednesday night. This went over the Wolves. And they keep their undefeated home record, which is now 18-0. and And they didn't have Porzingis. So of course, no Gobert, no Conley on the, on the other side. But I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to get all in on this home record, right? So if you look at it, the best home record in NBA history, it's a tie. The 86 Celtics went 40-1. and I believe their only loss that season was to Portland. And the 16 Spurs went 40-1. and The 16 Warriors, who broke the record, won 73 regular season games in totality, went 39-2. and The 96 Bulls, they went 39-2. and They won 72. So you have the two best teams ever in the history of the NBA in terms of record. And then also the 97 Bulls went 39-2. and But my point being is you have the two best teams in the history of the NBA in terms of their overall record and the 86 Celtics, who are just flat out one of the best teams in NBA history. And the Celtics team is now 18 and 0. So this is now, you look at it, they have all, these are all time great teams. I know the Warriors didn't win the championship. The only team that's on an all time great team is the Spurs, right? Like out of the that group. And I'm, I'm starting to think like, I want this thing, man. And Joe Mazzula after the game is thanking the crowd not like getting on the microphone, but in his post-game press conference, Jason Tatum's talking about the crowd as well. Like they're feeding into this. And I start to think about it. You have the Rockets at home on Saturday, which is going to be electric. Eme back in the building. You have next Wednesday against the Spurs. You get the Wemby experience, but you should win that game relatively easily. I mean, when they played the Spurs in San Antonio, that game was a joke. And then Friday the 19th, the champs, the Denver Nuggets come to town. I went to see Jokic play in person last year. It was awesome. That game is going to be electric. I, I think I may have to be in the building for that one. But now that you're starting to see this, like it's 18 and 0. It's not 10 and 0. It's not 11 and 0. It's 18 and 0. I mean, once you like, I'm I'm in it on it now. And I know you're still a long time away from setting this record or tying this record, I should say. And it's going to be difficult. And down the stretch of the season, who knows what happens as it pertains to rest and all that stuff. But for right now, something to get like excited about during the regular season. We had the in-season tournament earlier. This to me, I'm all in. All these home games now, I'm super excited for. Okay, anyway, so but let's get away from the record for a second here because this is something I certainly want to see. But this game, the difference is your stars were awesome. I mentioned no poor Zingas. Tatum goes for 45. What do you have, 12 in overtime? Yeah, because he had the two free throws at the end. He's 13 of 26. He's 6 of 11 from deep. And I love the fact that he got to the free throw line 14 times. He hit 13. Of course, he missed a big one, but Derek White made up for that. Jalen goes for 35 points. He is 13 of 13 at the line. He also had 11 boards. He also had some huge defensive stops. He stoned Edwards a couple of times late in this game. So if you look at the numbers, your two stars, 
Tatum and Jalen go for 80 combined. They go 22 of 42, which is 52.4% from the field. They go 10 of 18 from deep, which is 55.6%. And they go 26 of 27, 96.3% from the free throw line. It was awesome. And it was the first game that the Celtics played the Wolves earlier this season, where at the time, I believe the Celtics were 5-0. Edwards was the best player on the court, right? He had the 38 points. Tatum had 32. Brown had 26. Now, Edwards still good in this game tonight. He had the 29. But it was the Celtics stars that, of course, both outscored Anthony Edwards. I love the free throws, too. And Tatum's been getting to the free throw line a lot more lately, almost eight times a game since the start of December, even though his attempts on the season are down from the free throw line, if you compare it to last year. Lately, those numbers are up. And the other thing in this game about Jalen Brown is we're starting to see that this first quarter thing that was huge last year with Jalen is now back as well, where it's been trending in this direction. But Jalen has 15 in the first quarter. If you look at his first quarter points on the season, he's ninth in the NBA at 7.5. So just his ability to set the tone and then Jason Tatum late closing this thing out. And I thought this game in particular, this team showed balls, right? I just want to run through the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime because they were down 109-102 with 2.46 left after Alexander Walker knocked down that three. So the Celtics, for the rest of the game, regulation into overtime, they outscore Minnesota 25-11. to And I just look at that number, 109-102, and it was at that point too with 213 left in the game after Joe won a challenge on a Drew Block on Edwards. So 213 left, you're down seven points. That's a game that the Celtics very easily could have lose, uh, could have lost rather, and maybe should have lost, right? When you think about it, and maybe last year they do lose this game, but they find a way to fight back. So out of the timeout, you think, okay, the Celtics, you know what they're going to do. They're going to jack up a three. Right now they're down seven points with two minutes left. They're going to jack up a three. No! Tatum hard drive makes it 109-104. Then a huge play by Derek White gets a charge on Alexander Walker. And the next play down the court, Tatum gets a switch where he gets Towns on him, hits a sidestep three to make it 109-107. Then after that, it is at that particular point in time, it is what? 109-107. So Missoula calls up a play out of the timeout where we've told you last year, the Celtics were first in the NBA points per possession after a timeout. This year, they're second. Missoula's good at actually calling plays out of timeouts. It's just sometimes he doesn't call them, right? But so he draws up a play where Tatum gets Towns on him in the corner in sort of an isolation situation where the rest of that side of the court is empty. So he's basically one-on-one with Carl Anthony Towns. And what happens in that particular situation is he gets to the free throw line. Problem is, he only hits one of the two free throws. So it's 109-108. So on the second free throw, Derek White crashes, gets it. Eventually, that ball finds Drew Holiday for an open three to make it 111-109. to Then at the end of the game, unfortunately, Edwards gets a line drive to the basket. Derek White comes over to help, tries to go straight, straight up. I do think it was a foul. The Celtics challenge it, but it ends up being a foul. So it's 111-111. We go to overtime, did not love the shot at the end of the game there from Tatum in terms of the end of regulation there. I thought he could have got to the basket, and I do think you got to go faster there where there's seven seconds left, and you can't advance the ball because you use the challenge, but it's 111-111, you go to overtime. So to start overtime, Towns 
drives through Tatum, gets an and one, makes it 114-111. Then Al has this sort of like isolation on Towns in the interior. He misses it 114-111 still. Then you come down the other side of the court. Tatum has a nice steal on Edwards where Edwards sometimes, and I've noticed this in a couple of games you've seen Edwards play, he gets up in the air and he doesn't really know what he's going to do. He's still a young player. He's a great player, but he's still a young player. So he just sort of tries to throw the ball to McDaniels in the corner, and Tatum is standing in front of McDaniels. So Tatum just takes the ball, and what happens after that is McDaniels gets a take foul. So it's important to note that it was a take foul on McDaniels, but secondarily, that was his sixth foul. He's out of the game. We know he's their best perimeter defender. Tatum hits the take foul to make it 114-112, and then Tatum gets a drive, high ball screen. It's kind of a brush screen from... Al Horford goes right downhill, makes it 114-114. But then they come down the court, Minnesota does, and they hit another big shot. Carl Anthony Towns hits a wing three where Jalen sort of cheated off him a little bit. I didn't think he needed to do that. But nonetheless, they make it 117-114. Then Al comes up with a huge offensive rebound after Tatum gets blocked by Naz Reed. Jalen drives to the basket. He gets to the free throw line. He hits both his free throws, 117-116. This is one thing I give Tatum and Jalen credit for. They were attacking the rim, which is something at times in the past they haven't done late in games. Okay, then Tatum forces Edwards into a tough three. Jalen gets the rebound. They go down the other side. He gets fouled by Edwards. He beats Towns. It's sort of like a cross-match situation. He ends up beating Towns. And then Edwards has to come over and absolutely clobbers Jalen. Jalen hits both free throws, makes it 118-117. Again, your big player is coming up big. After that, Alexander Walker hits a tough three. It's like these wolves will not go away. He makes it 120-118. to Okay, then after that, Jalen gets an offensive rebound, but Holiday misses a three. Tatum then gets Reed on him, and they are in the bonus, right? So this is a very smart play by Jason Tatum. So Minnesota is in the bonus. He notices that he gets Reed on him. So he's like going back kind of towards half court to bring Reed with him because he just wants to bring Reed up so he can get a direct line drive to the basket. And at the very least, he's going to beat Reed. So then Minnesota is going to have to help from other places and they get an extra or an open shot from somewhere. The problem is Reed just fouls him near half court. So Jason Tatum gets to the free throw line, hits both, makes it 120 to 120. Towns then misses a quick three. Rebound from Jalen. Tatum, ISO on Towns again. They kept getting to that cross match. He makes it 122-120. So I love the Celtics offense late in this game being deliberate. Jalen and Jason Tatum downhill and going after Carl Anthony Towns. Okay. And then after that, you have this great play defensively where it's 122-120. Edwards is dribbling the ball on the wing. He's kind of near the hash mark. He's not on the wing yet, but he's near the hash mark. Drew Holiday, and he's being guarded by Derek White. Drew Holiday comes off his man, doubles Carl Anthony Towns. They get the steal right there, and it leads to a Tatum three the other way, where they make it 125-120. And then the next possession down, Al forces Carl Anthony Towns into a brutal fadeaway, where I don't know what Towns is thinking there. They drew up this play to get Carl Anthony Towns isoed on Horford. He just took a bad shot. Jalen Board and... After that, the game is pretty much over. I mean, the Celtics did have trouble inbounding the ball. But nonetheless, the point being is the story in this game, the reason I run through this, the Celtics made all the plays. Even when Minnesota kept punching them, they made all the correct plays, right? And you found a way to pull this thing out. Love Tatum closing it out. 
And the thing is, with Tatum this year, he hasn't had a ton of these opportunities in close games. Like, the only times he has, he hasn't really been able to close these games out. And in this game, he gets it done tonight. And Jalen Brown plays a pivotal role in this game as well, where he had his opportunities and he was carrying the offense for a while as well. And even guys that didn't shoot the ball particularly well, like Derek White, made great plays. Al Horford made big plays. Hauser kept him alive in, what, the beginning of the fourth quarter when he hit two threes where they really needed some sort of spark from their offense. I just thought the end of the game was awesome. I thought they were going to lose when they're down 109-102, and they're able to fight back and win this game, and now they're 18-0 at home. One side note I did want to get to. Derek White had the huge offensive rebound late that we mentioned on the free throw, on the Tatum miss, and he had that huge charge on Alexander Walker, right? And he was a game best plus 11. Like, his numbers, six assists, Six rebounds, despite the fact that he was just 3 of 11 from the floor and 1 of 5 from deep. We need to point this out because I'm not a guy that believes in curses, right? Like, or jinxes or something along these lines, but or those lines. But we got to point this out. Derek White, if you remember last year, he went on J.J. Reddick's podcast, Old Man in the Three. It's a really good podcast. I was actually listening, listening to an episode with Tim Legler earlier today. And his episode with Derek White was awesome. Derek White was really great on that. If you look at his numbers, and he slumped, as I said, he slumped last year. Derek White, since going on J.J. Reddick's podcast, 13 of 42, which is 31% from the field, 6 of 22 from deep, 27.3%, 39 points, that's 9.8 per game. This guy was like averaging 20 for a month, and now he's averaging 9.8 in his last four games, shooting 31% from the floor and 273 three percent from three so i think as a fan base we get a ban Derek white from the jj reddick podcast old man in three as much as i love jj reddick's podcast as much as you know me i'm the president of the Derek white fan club i just i i'm i'm having a buy into the curse unless like tomorrow night against milwaukee he comes out and he hits a bunch of threes shoot your way out of this thing man okay shoot your way out because he even mentioned on the podcast like don't mention it like don't mention that what happened last year so it just I'm not really actually concerned about it. It's just, it's crazy that this has now happened two consecutive two consecutive years. And I don't think that this is going to continue to happen with Derek White. He's too good of a shooter. He'll shoot his way out of this thing. My prediction is against Milwaukee. He'll do it, but it's just crazy that it's now happened two consecutive years. The one other thing that I'll say is it was awesome. As I mentioned, they squeezed this out. It was great to see Tatum making those plays late. Jalen Brown making plays late. But it did feel like a playoff game for a while that we've seen the Celtics lose. Now, the difference here is they got to the free throw line. I'll get to that in a second. But the one thing you look at is it's just when they have Porzingis, at times it feels like they're almost unbeatable. And I know they lost to Oklahoma City. I know they've lost games with Porzingis. But that button, right, that cheat code, you didn't have that cheat code to press in this game particularly. And if you look at it, too. They got 19% of their shots at the rim. The lowest team in the NBA is the Golden State Warriors at 25.3%. And with Porzingis in the lineup, this is via cleaning the glass, the Celtics take 33.1% of their shots at the rim with Porzingis out there. That would rank 16th in the NBA. So it's middle of the road. It's not a great number. But the difference is it's an increase of 5.7 percentage points, which is in the 95th percentile. So those shots at the rim go way up when Porzingis is on the court. And if you look at the number without Porzingis, based on that 5.7, that'd be about 27.4% of their shots come at the rim. Only Golden State, as we mentioned earlier, is south of that. So they go from a team that is middle of the road getting to the rim with Porzingis on the court 
to second to last in the NBA when Porzingis is off the court. And we saw that tonight. 19% of their shots came at the rim. The other thing I would mention in terms of just the two-point shooting, and tonight they go 20 of 43, which is 46.5%. The worst two-point shooting team is Portland at 48.6%. Now, the Wolves do defend the two well, 50.3%, which is an outstanding number, number one in the NBA. But with Porzingis on the court, the Celtics on twos shoot 59.8%. The Pacers lead the league at 59.7%. So they're better than the league's best two-point shooting team with Porzingis on the court. With Porzingis off the court, still good, 55.8%. That would rank ninth. Tonight, obviously, they really struggle without Porzingis out there where you know what would have happened in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. He would have got touches in the post. And in particular, they love to feature him at the nail at the free throw line. So look, you can grind out wins, and it's impressive tonight, but Porzingis is what puts this team over the top. Even if he's not the best player on the team, he's what puts this team over the top because of the diversity that he brings to this offense, right? You would have just liked to have this option. Now, the good thing is they were able to grind out the win without Porzingis. Now, the thing in this game, like I mentioned, the two-point shooting was bad. The Celtics took, what, 47 threes out of their 90 attempts. That's 52.2% of their attempts came via the three-point shot and if you look at it they hit a three-point shot that sounds corny they took 19 they hit 19 threes they took 47 so that's what you needed to do without Porzingis you needed to hit your threes and they did give the Celtics credit they had 19 threes in this game and the other thing is they took I mentioned earlier like they got to the free throw line that's the one big difference compared to playoff games last year or the year before where they took a bunch of threes but they didn't do anything else Well, in this game, yeah, you took 47 threes, but you also took 31 free throws. That's a huge difference. You had 11 more attempts than the Wolves did. So if you look at it just in terms of the numbers here, the Celtics, 57 points off threes compared to 42 for the Wolves. That's a 15-point advantage at the three-point line. And they hit 30 free throws compared to, what, 18 for the Wolves. So they win that battle by 12. So that's 27 points when you're talking about the free throw line and the three-point line where you outscore the Wolves. You would have seen last year, it just be the three-point line or, right, or they'd struggle from three, but they also got to the free throw line, which I think is massive. And you needed that without Porzingis because the points in the paint, 50 to 34 in favor of the Wolves. That's why they were in this game. So if you just look at it on the season, part of the reason that Missoula is always preaching like winning on the margins, winning the three-point battle, winning the free throw battle on the season, the Celtics are at 16.1 made threes per game which is number one in the NBA, 48.3 points off threes. And they give up 13.8 threes a game, 41.4 points. So they're outscoring teams by 6.9 points per game at the three-point line. And then even though they don't get to the free throw line a ton, they've been getting to the free throw line more lately, but they average 17.8 made free throws per game, 16th, and they only give up 14.2 made free throws per game, which is first in the NBA. So 3.7 or 3.6 points per game advantage there at the free throw line. So they combine, you look at that, it's 10.5 points per game. Now, ordinarily, they're not getting outscored in the paint like they did tonight where it's 50 to 34, but you have a 12, you have a big advantage when you're talking about 27 points on free throws and threes. It's even a way larger number than your ordinary, ordinarily outscoring teams by, what, 10 and a half, right? So it's huge. And you found a way to win without Kristaps Porzingis, who's a guy that, could have made things a lot easier tonight. And I know that they were dealing with that Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, as we mentioned earlier, but it was nice to see the Celtics get downhill, get to the free throw line when they weren't able to 
have Kristaps Porzingis on the line. Not that they've never won games without Porzingis. They've been to the NBA championship. But this game just sort of reminded me of a playoff gr- game where you grind it out. And if you just have that one huge guy, the seven foot three guy, he gives you a totally different element. And I thought that was abundantly clear in the second half until it was 109-102 and the Celtics sort of made their run. And if you look at Porzingis now, he's missed, what, 10 games, so he's played 27 of 37, so 73% of the games. And if you have to continually give him a game off a week, I'm fine with it because, as I mentioned, like, you could see a difference when he was not out there in this game tonight, right? Like, they won the game. It was awesome. It was incredibly entertaining. Tatum was awesome. Jalen is awesome. But when he misses games, and look, they've won games without him, you clearly miss him, right? So I don't mind the cell, like there was right knee contusion, but he's always sort of dealing with something. I don't mind this. Give him a game off a week and get him ready for the postseason because that's the most important thing. That's the whole reason that you made this trade is so in the postseason, your offense can look different than it's looked in other seasons. Now, they still want to do what they do, take a lot of threes, but they also want to have that outlet of, hey, let's give Kristaps Porzingis the ball at the nail. Let's let Kristaps Porzingis do his thing in the post. And I do think without Porzingis, it's clear you don't have that button that you could press during the regular season in other games. And I just think it's so imperative they keep him healthy. So I'm totally fine with the plan they have giving him these days off. All right, so now they'll get the Bucks. I would imagine Al Horford doesn't play in a back-to-back. The Bucks have been struggling. They've lost four of five. Huge rest advantage for the Bucs, of course, because the Celtics just played tonight. The Bucs have not played since Monday. I mean, Giannis is talking about the equipment manager needs to change things up. The team needs to change things up. It's bad in Milwaukee right now. They're 22nd in defensive rating at 116.3. If you can imagine this, they actually have a worse defensive rating than the Portland Trailblazers. They are third in offense, but I do think with them having the rest advantage, you having to go to Milwaukee, you win this game you start to really make them think about themselves, right? And I know the Celtics already beat the Wol- or beat the Bucks earlier this season. That felt like they were in complete control of that game. It was what, the Wednesday before? Yeah, it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I know that the Bucks made their run late. It never felt like the Bucs had a chance to win this that game. If you do that again to them, you're really sending a statement to Milwaukee. And I do think we're, we're talking about, they're already talking about panic stuff, even though Milwaukee has a good record. Like, You've seen the talking heads. Everybody's talking about the issues for Milwaukee and how bad it is defensively. But I think you really send a message in this game on Thursday night if you can pull off a win. All right, so fun night all around for the Celtics. And I do, I'm really into this home record now, obviously, to uh, tomorrow night. The game against Milwaukee, not at home. But you got another huge home game coming up against Ime, like, which is going to be incredibly entertaining. And that'll be, what, the third game in four nights for the Celtics. So we'll see how they respond to that one. But two huge games coming up. You get Milwaukee, and then you get your former head coach coming to town. All right, coming up next, we'll get back into the biggest story right now in New England, which is Bill Belichick and his future. My buddy Kyrie Thompson will join us. As good as the regular season is, there's nothing like NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Six games, three days. For these teams, it's win or go home. But you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. All right, so I'm looking at this Bills-Steelers game coming up. I like the Bills to, of course, beat the Steelers. I like Josh Allen for an anytime touchdown and Dalton Kincaid over four and a half receptions. So you can get that at plus 323 as a same-game parlay. Bills to beat the Steelers, Josh Allen anytime touchdown, and Dalton Kincaid over four and a half receptions. 
So if you want to follow my picks, go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike to join today. That's FanDuel.com slash Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in president select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike, recording this part of the pod at 4.03. Still waiting to get news on Bill Belichick and his future. Joining us now from NPR in Boston. He's all over the place doing podcasts, too. It is Kyrie Thompson. Kyrie, how are you, my man? Doing wonderfully. Cannot complain, though I kind of need this news to happen. How about you? Same, man. All right, so let's start with this. There are some big names now in the coaching market, but specifically for the sake of the Patriots, Mike Vrabel. So Vrabel was just, of course, as we know, inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame this year. I thought it was weird that he was at the stadium (laughs) during a bye week that he's a coach in the NFL at the time. But anyway, his record 54 and 45. Now the last two years, not pretty, 7 and 10 and 6 and 11. But prior to that, he made an AFC championship game. He had an 11-5 and season. He had a 12-5 and season. The defense did tail off the last two years, 28th in EPA per play. But I believe that's more about the personnel than it is actually the coaching. And the other thing I would mention is, in terms of the personnel, we've all seen the video where he gets pissed when the then-GM, John Robinson, traded away A.J. Brown. He was irate. Prior to draft day, he had done an interview with Rich Eisen where he was asked about the potential of trading A.J. Brown. He said, as long as I'm the coach here, I want A.J. Brown on my football team. I think a lot of us agree. We also remember famously, he out Belichick's Belichick. He took the thing that Belichick did against the Jets in the playoff game in 19, where he took the two penalties, right, to take time off the clock. Bill was pissed on the sideline. So the point being, I believe that Mike Vrabel can certainly coach. And now I think This makes this whole situation, from my perspective, a little bit more difficult for the Crafts in this sense, right? If they wanted Gerard Mayo the whole time and he has been planned as the successor to Bill Belichick, you got a Patriot Hall of Famer, a guy that has had success in the NFL, a guy with three Super Bowl rings as a player. So how much more difficult does this make selling Gerard Mayo if the Patriots are to move on from Bill? All this is hypothetical right now, but is it a tougher sell to go with Mayo when you know Vrabel's out there. Yeah, I think that if if you're interviewing Mike Vrabel, if that is that's a possibility, if you're deciding between Mike Vrabel and Gerard Mayo, you're picking Mike Vrabel. He's done the job. He's, he's got track record. You know he can do it. He knocked you out the playoffs and sent Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. You know his credentials. Now, that, that is not to say that they might not like Gerard Mayo, that they might not have faith that he can do the job. I'm sure he can. He's, he, he absolutely seems like a very competent guy. But again, you're talking about, especially at this moment right now, where you're potentially talking about moving on from Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, and going into the unknown. Would you not rather have the more experienced hand taking you into the unknown? in that situation. So I think that, yeah, if, if Mike Vrabel is available and this is the job that he wants and the crafts are mutually agree, then yeah, there's, 
I don't see a path for Gerard Mayo to overcome Mike Vrabel in that situation. And the other thing here, Kyrie, is this. We heard from Ian Rappaport that part of the reason Tennessee decided to move on was he wouldn't dispel the rumors when he was getting inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame that he'd be the next head coach of the Patriots. He wouldn't just shut those down. And this is when he's actually the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And the other interesting thing that I found is Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network, he mentioned the other day that Adam Peters, of course, he was with the Patriots organization back in the last or two decades ago at this particular point in time. He has become sort of the most attractive general manager candidate, if you will. He's the number two there in San Francisco with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. Prior to that, he had success with the Denver Broncos as well. And there could be a connection there because Vrabel was here when Adam Peters was here. Peters was part of the Patriots organization as well. And if Peters is going to hire Vrabel as his next head coach, now this is all conjecture at this particular point in time, that's kind of like the perfect situation. If you can get the top GM candidate and depending on Harbaugh's situation, maybe the number one or the number two head coaching candidate as well, that could be like, if you're moving on from the greatest coach of all time, that would be a pretty good job, a pretty easy sell, I think, to the fan base. You know what's interesting about what you post? Yeah, I think I think that you could sell that to the fan base if, if it's Peters and, and Vrabel. And again, two guys that you're familiar with. If you're talking about Jim Harbaugh, I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of feel like I, I, I don't know if, if they would do this again, but I feel like you're almost doing it like Belichick again back in, you know, in, in 2000, and you're making him both. Because I just have a hard time believing that Jim Harbaugh is going to want to come to the NFL and not want something to the tune of like 15 to $20 million. And if you're going to pay him that much, there's a part of me that thinks, well, you've got, you might as well give him a ton of personnel control. Do I think that's a good idea? No. But I think that might be the kind of thing that you're talking about in such a situation. I feel like I'd feel more comfortable personally going a little bit more the conventional route. And, and, and again, I think with Jim Harbaugh, it's an interesting question because he's a guy who's been to a bunch of, and sorry about that, a train in the background. Um, he's been to NFC championships. He's been to the Super Bowl. The guy can coach, but man, he burns people out fast. He kind of overstays his welcome and grinds people's gears. I don't know if you want to deal with that for, for the long term. So I feel like Vrabel's probably a bit more safe, noble, and also good. Well, my whole, my whole point with Harbaugh is I was just making the point that like the two top coaches out there are Vrabel and Harbaugh. And if you could get either the number one coach or the number two coach, depending on how you rank Mike Vrabel coming out of Tennessee compared to Jim Harbaugh and whoever else is out there and get the number one executive, like that's a pretty good offseason for the Patriots. So I wanted to ask you about this, though. Now that we look at these jobs, and I'm sure you have an opinion on this one, but I start to think about sort of you have... The Mike Vrabels, the Jim Harbaugh's we talked about, everybody wants to interview Ben Johnson and that, and we'll see about some of these other candidates that become available. But if you look at just the jobs, right, when we're looking at, okay, the Chargers, there's an attraction there because of Herbert. I'm not as crazy about the rest of the roster as everybody else seems to be, and not the greatest ownership in the world either. You look at the commanders, I think that is very attractive because you got new ownership. You don't have Daniel Snyder there anymore, which is a major win. Not to mention the fact that you have the number two pick in the draft. You got Bob Myers, for whatever reason, running that coaching search, which, all right, he's not running the team. But nonetheless, you look at Seattle that just became open. I don't see that as very attractive, especially considering where you're drafting. 
I like some of the pieces on Atlanta, but they don't have the quarterback. So what are they doing there? Tennessee's not a very attractive job. Eberflus is back with the Bears, which I don't know how you feel about that, Kyrie, but that would have been a very attractive job having the number one pick and the possibility to either to go with Caleb Williams with the number one pick or depending on what you want to do there. But I look at this Patriots job now, all of a sudden, when you look at the rest of them and the Raiders will see they may just stick with Antonio Pierce, it's more attractive than I would have thought it would have been, say, a couple of weeks ago because of the fact that now you have that number three pick. So I actually think this is an attractive job that warrants a coaching search, not just promoting Gerard Mayo. Agreed. And, and I, yes, you absolutely have to. I mean, number one, you've got to do it anyway uh, because of your league protocol. Uh, but the, the other thing that I, I feel like here is the, the Patriots – you're, I'm curious how the quarterback situation is going to shake out because it's not just going to be the quarterbacks in the draft. You're also potentially going to have quarterbacks hitting the market, right? Free agents that you're going to be able to sign. I, I, I got to dive into the next tier of quarterbacks a little bit more. I've watched a lot more Caleb Williams and Drake May say than I have, you know, Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix. So I got to get down on that. I, I feel like, though, the possibility of being able to, to do that, if you like a quarterback well enough, and the fact that you have a defense, that's solid, right? I mean, all the best position groups on the team are, are on defense, and that at least gives you something to build with. It's not a roster completely bereft of talent. And then you can rebuild the offense in your image, you know, ho- however you want to do that. Though I will say, on the defensive side of the ball, You've got a little bit more age. You've got free agents that you got to deal with. Kyle Duggar being among them. You've got to figure out if you're going to pay him. So there are some questions. But again, anytime you have a pick that high, I think that there is a chance to look at that and say, and they've got a, you know, a decent amount of cap space. There, there's a chance to look at that and say, you know what? The makings of getting good again quickly are there. I don't know that there's anything I, I, I like, again, the idea of Gerard Mayo and think that he, he's a good leader and a guy that people respect, but there's no reason to just hand him this job. I mean, you got to think about the long-term success of your football team and you got to ask yourself, what's going to get me closer to a Super Bowl? Would it be Gerard Mayo? Would it be Mike Vrabel? Would it be an offensive head coach if you could get one? So you, right. you have to be methodical about this process. And they've been methodical about how they're going forward potentially or moving on from Bill Belichick. I think that's the right thing to do because, I mean, you can't just shoot from the hip on the potentially most important transition you've ever had. Well, and I think the other part of that is the fact that, okay, so let's go with the hypothetical that, hey, Vrabel wants to come here. Let's just say that for the sake of the conversation. Vrabel wants to coach the Patriots, and the Patriots end up just promoting Gerard Mayo, and he goes to the Commanders, and for the next decade or so, like he turns that into a really competitive situation, and then a couple of years from now, we're asking, hey, is Gerard Mayo really the guy? And look, Gerard Mayo may turn out to be a really good coach. We don't know this. Like He may be a coach for the next 15 years for one organization, whatever the case may be, or he may have a ton of success, but that is a big risk if Vrabel wants to come here and it's out there that Vrabel wants to come here and you go in a different direction. So I think it's certainly something they're going to have to manage in terms of expectations. And now this Vrabel thing is thrown off. I feel like a more fascinating thing into the whole coaching search as it pertains to the Patriots, but just in terms of Belichick. So 
I talked about the Atlanta situation the other day. The two situations that actually make some sense, Atlanta, because Arthur Blank, now he's not going to have his GM that involved. He said he'll get input from the GM in terms of picking the next head coach. And then what would it take, do you think, for Dallas to move on from McCarthy? Does he have to lose to Green Bay? Could it be a second round loss, say, hypothetically, if the Lions beat the Rams this weekend and then go to Dallas. To me, like those are the two jobs that would make sense from Bill. The more and more you hear from the commanders, it doesn't feel like that's a Belichick destination. Or do you think the Chargers would still be in play for Bill if, say, they don't get Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh? I mean, yeah, I would I would say the Chargers would still be in play. The Cowboys, I don't know that I don't know that the Cowboys fits me as, as like kind of a Bill Belichick destination. Imagining Bill Belichick and Jerry Jones dealing with one another and Jerry Jones meddling in personnel matters does not sound like the kind of thing Bill Belichick is going to want to deal with, especially at this stage in his career. He's going to want to go to a place that is going to kind of let him do his thing. And, and I don't know if that's the Commanders or, 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 the, or the Cowboys or the Chargers or, or Atlanta. I think maybe Atlanta might make sense. In, in that regard, I've kind of heard that thrown around. And even though they don't have the quarterback right now, there, there are avenues that you could take to do that. And one of those, actually, that I could see is I, at this point, do not think it's likely the Chicago Bears keep Justin Fields. I think they're probably going to trade him. So Bill Belichick, ever the guy who, who loves himself a bargain, maybe looks at and at it and says, hey, this guy used to be the number 11 overall picks, first round guy, and I could get him for a second or a third or something like that. Why not give him a shot? I saw what he did against us. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, when I was with the Patriots, you know, I think that he could be a pretty good player and he's more experienced than a rookie. I'm not going to have to necessarily develop him from scratch. And I don't know if uh, I would trust Bill Belichick to do that at this stage in his career. You got a bunch of offensive weapons. You got a solid defense. Maybe that's kind of all you need is a quarterback. And then you're kind of right back in there and you go to the NFC South. It's a terrible division. So it's like that might be something that's kind of right for the picking. I think that if you want to go to a place that really you don't have to worry about the quarterback at all. I mean, Justin Herbert in the Chargers is your best bet. Um, But yeah, I feel like with the Cowboys, you mentioned them. I feel like a first round loss would definitely put McCarthy something on a hot seat. If they win a playoff game, then I don't know that I see him leaving. But the Packers, look, especially if you lost to the Packers, that's the youngest team to like, I think in history to make the NFL playoffs. If you lost to them, that's tough. Yeah, no doubt about that. That would be an awfully difficult loss. Mike McCarthy, like Jerry Jones would be embarrassed by that one. You you bring up some good points about Atlanta. Like the division thing has got to be a factor. That is a horrible. I mean, the Patriots had that luxury for what? A decade and a half where the divisions more than that, where the divisions. I mean, you had some competitive teams, the Rex Ryan Jets teams, the Bills at the very end. But Josh Allen wasn't quite Josh Allen. They had some decent Miami teams early, but nothing like you didn't really have a competitor in the division. That's a good point, too. Like if he goes there, he probably thinks that he can win that division relatively easily my only thing about fields would be i don't know how much the patriots liked him out of the draft right because they could have traded up to get him instead it was the bears that came in and jumped over them but either way like they could maybe they think maybe they maybe bill really likes Penix or something and says at eight i'll take Penix like in the next group i will say this though Kyrie, i am like 
starting to fall in love with Jaden Daniels. I'm going to get into this later, but I mean, geez, yeah. you just watch this guy's highlights. It's incredible from a Patriots perspective at number three. I'm saying, all right. So before we let you go, Kyrie, when you just look at this situation, the fact that it's now Wednesday as we're recording after four, we haven't gotten the news that Belichick is coming back, right? Like the Bears even announced that Eberflus is coming back. We've seen Pete Carroll just got moved on from on Wednesday. So the way this thing yep. is trending, do you believe that it's just this is an inevitability and they're just waiting to see what is the best way to sort of put it out there that they're moving on from Bill? Or do you think they're still like making a decision here? I feel like there's probably an element of Bears Matt Eberflus decision to this where you're listening or Bill Belichick has to provide, especially from a quarterback standpoint. This, this is one of my sticking points with him. And one of the things that has me concerned about keeping Bill Belichick. Okay. It's not just the fact that you've had three of, you know, four losing seasons now and that most basically any coach in the league that lost three out of four seasons would get fired. It's not just that. It's about the, the fact that he completely totaled Mac Jones. And, and, and I think that you could say, oh, yeah, maybe he's not that talented and they got the book on him or whatever. But a good coaching staff helps the player get around that. And the Patriots actively got worse at coaching Mac Jones. So you need to, you need to hear Bill Belichick say what his plan would be if you're taking Jaden Daniels at number three overall or if you're not. You know, if, if you're not taking a quarterback, if you're trading down and recouping more value, okay, because you do have a lot of things you got to do on the offensive side of the football. Let's be real, okay? You got a lot of needs. But if you're not going to do that, who is playing quarterback for you? I need you to give me a plan for who is going to be playing quarterback for you, how you are going to support them the best way possible. And, and I'm not going to lie, I'm seeing things like, oh, yeah, Josh McDaniels, you know, if Bill Belichick stays, Josh McDaniels might come back. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, I guess I, I get it, right? They did. They were great together with, with Matt Jones in that rookie year. You could totally run that back with Jaden Daniels and Josh McDaniels ain't getting another head coaching job ever again at this point. But again, I'm kind of like, really? That's your answer, Josh McDaniels? That, yeah, that's think, how we're going to do this? I think that's going to be his answer with a different organization to the question I asked you. I think that this is, it seems like at this particular point in time, whether you agree or disagree, they're going to move on from Bill. And I think Bill's going to get the band back together. It's going to be him, Josh McDaniels, and Steve Belichick. Steve's going to be running the defense. Josh is going to be running the offense. And Bill's going to be coaching. We'll just see if a team is at this particular point in time willing to give him personnel power, which I could not imagine doing. But maybe Atlanta does it if they're that desperate for the big name. And I do really agree with your point on Mac. Like, even if Mac wasn't talented enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for the foreseeable future, you need answers on, hey, well, if we're drafting a quarterback third overall, Bill, how's it going to be different this time around in terms of even if Jaden Daniels is way more talented than Mac and he has a much higher ceiling, we got to know you're going to build this thing, right? So I think it's a great point in terms of how you build around the young quarterback, because last time it didn't really work out. Even if Mac isn't good enough to be a starter of the NFL, the line was bad. The weapons are bad. You had Matt Patricia calling place. So you're going to want those answers. All right. That is Kyrie Thompson from NPR in Boston. He's all over the place. Kyrie, I appreciate you making some time this afternoon, man, and enjoy the rest of these coaching searches. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? 
Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from my buddy Kyrie Thompson. Always enjoy talking football with Kyrie. And this is going to be fascinating. This whole situation to me is fascinating. And as I mentioned with Kyrie, the fact that now Vrabel is involved in all this, like it's wild to me. This is just insane. I don't believe the Crafts thought this would actually be a legitimate possibility. And, and the fact that the Titans were like unsure of Rabel's future and whether or not he wanted to be there is part of the reason they move on from. They fire him. They don't even get compensation for him. This could be the number one candidate out there. And they didn't even get compensation for Mike Vrabel. We've been talking about could the Patriots get something for Bill? They don't even get compensation for Vrabel who, depending on how you rank them, like it's him and Harbaugh, if Harbaugh is actually coming to the NFL as like the two biggest candidates. It's just a crazy situation. Okay, so I did want to mention this. I alluded to Jaden Daniels quickly there with Kyrie. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, if you remember the pod I did after the Denver win, it was like two days after I did it. That was Christmas Eve, right? So a couple of days after that. I thought the Patriots at that point were going to pick like fifth or something because my assumption was they were going to beat the Jets, which, of course, I'm happy they didn't beat the Jets now, even though the 15-game winning streak ends, because they have the third overall pick. So I look at it now that they ended up at three. And remember at the time, I said, hey, if I'm in the five of the six spot, I'd take Adunze, the receiver from Washington, Neighbors, the receiver from LSU. But Brock Bowers was sort of the plan I came up with. Draft Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia, and then sign T. Higgins. Now, I still want to sign T. Higgins. I'm still on that. I've been saying this for months now, right? But anyway, my whole thing was, if you're not in the top three, are you going to be able to get the quarterback, right? And the way that I looked at it is, I was sold on Caleb Williams. I'm still sold on Caleb Williams, despite the bad season at USC for the team. He still is an amazing player. I'm still sold on Drake May, even though the completion percentage was not great this season. Still sold on him. I think he's a really phenomenal talent and he's got the NFL body six foot four 225 pounds all that so I had been sold on both those guys now I was admittedly not as sold on Jaden Daniels and that was part of the reason I said hey draft one of these skill players at five or six because it's also going to cost you to get up to number three right like you're going to have to give something up and I was not as sold on Jaden Daniels as Drake May and Caleb Williams at the time but over the past few days I'm not going to act like I'm breaking down film like Todd McShay or Daniel Jeremiah or Danny Kelly here at The Ringer, right? Like, I'm not one of these film gurus like those guys are. But I've been watching his stuff on YouTube over the past few days, right? And the one thing that jumps out to me is the deep ball is ridiculous for this guy. Like, the accuracy on his deep passing is ridiculous. And I'll get into that in a second because after I watched his highlights, I'm like, this guy throws so many unbelievable deep balls. I got to look this up. So I did. But anyway, before that, the other thing you look at is his running ability, right? 
He had one against Ole Miss that was just ridiculous. And I was actually watching that game. I've told you before, two of my brothers went to Ole Miss. I was watching that game. I remember that run when I rewatched some of this stuff. He made a guy on Alabama fall, like just fell with a juke, okay? Just a ridiculous play. He has easy speed. He glides. It reminds me of Lamar Jackson, right? A&M, he was running away from defensive backs. Like he made corners and safeties look slow. And I believe at the time, I underrated him because I kind of, I was skewed by that Florida State game because I lost money on that to open up the season Labor Day weekend. I believe that was the Labor Day night game. I lost money on that game. I I thought that LSU was going to win. They didn't. Obviously, Florida State was a lot better than I thought they were going to be. I don't want to get into the old college football playoff thing, but you get the point. It's like I was kind of skewed by that. I watched the Ole Miss game. He was awesome in that game. And then the Alabama game. That game, he was good. He ran the ball a lot, but that that was still like one of those games where I'm like, ah, is he is he really the guy, right? Because I always thought it was just Drake May and Caleb Williams. But after you go through and you watch all this stuff from Jaden Daniels, you become more impressed with what he did. Like, just go back and, hey, if you have some time over the next week and change, well, I guess you're glued to the Belichick thing right now. But before the draft, you'll have time. Go back and watch Jaden Daniels because he's bigger, too, than you think he is. He's six foot four. So if you look at the deep passing, 20 plus yard passes, this is via Pro Football Focus, he was first in yards per attempt at 24.5. He was first in completion percentage at 63.6%. Remember, these are balls that are traveling 20 20 yards in the air. He was number one in completion percentage, number one in yards per attempt, number one in touchdowns with 22, 146.8 passer rating, which was first as well. Phenomenal numbers. And then if you look at his rushing numbers in terms of comparing them against other quarterbacks, He's first in yards per attempt. He's first in total yards. He's second in 10-yard runs with 41. And Pro Football Focus has the yards after contact per attempt. He's 4.71, which was second. So first in yards per attempt, first in yards, second in 10-yard runs, and second in yards after contact, right? So, like, it's really difficult to bring this guy down. And I know it's crazy. I referenced Lamar Jackson earlier. I know it's crazy to compare anyone to Lamar Jackson. But if you look at the Heisman years... He had seven games, or excuse me, Daniels had seven games this year, north of 90 rushing yards. Lamar had eight. Now, Lamar had some amazing games. Daniels was the more accurate passer at 72.2% compared to Lamar that was at 57.6%. Now, it's different. Like, Lamar was really in a pro-style offense at that particular point in time. So some of the numbers are skewed with that. And as we know, like, the passing numbers are going up each and every season for these college quarterbacks and we see it in the NFL as well but the more and more that I start to watch Jaden Daniels is I would take him third overall and this is the most important position right like you've got to get this thing right first and I do think like uniquely if Jaden Daniels if you have the opportunity to draft him at number three one of the things that if you notice in the NFL this recent trend is the running game like the running quarterback we used to think back in the day as recently as like seven, eight years ago is, hey, if you have that prototypical pocket passer, that guy can sort of succeed in the NFL earlier, right? Like that was the whole thing about Mac. He's pro ready right now, right? He can read defenses. He's super accurate and all that. But what we're finding out is if you can actually run, it actually elevates your floor, right? Like before Josh Allen became a good passer and a consistent passer, he could at least run. Like the Bills were decent because of his running ability. Lamar Jackson has become a much better passer since he came into the NFL, right? In terms of 
the accuracy, the down the field stuff. And obviously they made offensive coordinator changes as well. But having that unique running ability made him a major factor from the day he stepped on the football field when he went to the Baltimore Ravens and eventually replaced Joe Flacco. Having that running ability actually elevates your floor. It actually helps you early on in your career before you figure out everything with the NFL passing game because there are adjustments even for the best guys coming out of the collegiate level, right? So having that actually enhances your floor. So that's part of the argument is, okay, if this Patriots team, they're not going to be stacked offensively, but they can certainly improve with some of the things I said, and I'll continue to come back to T. Higgins, T. Higgins, T. Higgins, T. Higgins, right? But the point being is you can actually have a more diverse offense if you have a guy that can run the ball the way that Jaden Daniels can. And with Ramondre Stevenson, who Callahan talked to today as we're recording on Wednesday, he says he's good, he's healthy, he's ready to go. Having him with, having Jaden Daniels with an elite running back in Ramondre Stevenson is going to help the offense because even if you make the moves I'm talking about in terms of the offseason moves adding to the receiver room, which the Patriots certainly need to do, they're still not going to be an elite group of weapons next year, right? But you can have an elite running game, right? If you Now, you're going to have to hopefully some of the younger linemen get better, but you're going to have to improve some stuff as it pertains to the offensive line. But you can create really something special in terms of building around the quarterback and also the quarterback run game, which is really unique to Jaden Daniels. Like, this guy is, he's special. And maybe I just underrated him during the season, but going back and watching it, if you have the third pick, which the Patriots do, I would take Jaden Daniels. Like, this is what I actually think is going to happen. I talked about like months ago that, hey, maybe there's going to be, hey, should Jerick May go in front of Caleb Williams? What I think is going to happen now is, should Jaden Daniels go number two? Like, I actually think that conversation, the closer we get to the draft, that's going to start to come up as well. That maybe Jaden Daniels is the better play than Drake May at the number two pick of the draft, right? So we'll see what happens in the coming months here. But I'm starting to fall in love with Jaden Daniels. And I'm starting to think like, there's no way the Patriots aren't taking a quarterback with the number three overall selection after just seeing like this guy is unbelievably talented. All right, before we go any further, let's bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? Brian, I'm great. I'm doing better after you talk about hyping up Jane Daniels. I'm excited about that. Yeah, man. It's just been over the past few days. I'm like, yeah, because I, I, you know, I liked Penix a lot. Penix was and I'm not saying like that's the reason not to draft him. But I mean, he's older. He's not as he's not nearly and he's had a ton of injuries, not nearly as mobile as Jaden Daniels. But over the past couple of days, like I've been going back and watching Jaden Daniels. And like I said, I, I'm not one of these guys that is like, you know, I, I'm not a scout watching these guys. This is me. I'm going back. I'm watching these guys. <laughs> play. I'm like, it's he looks and I, I didn't re- like he's six foot four. He's big. I mean, he could put on some weight. I actually think, too, if I'm now this is different when Lamar Jackson was coming out because you had, hey, like in it got a little bit overblown. But like Bill Polian said, hey, you should do receiver drills. Right. Like because he didn't think that he was a quarterback. Right. I mean, obviously, it was Bill. Pol- it was one guy like it. It became like a big thing, but it was really Bill Polian mm-hmm. made an idiotic comment. But the point being is like Lamar Jackson didn't want to do certain stuff at the combine, right? Because maybe people think, oh, that means he could change positions. Which Aiden Daniels, like if he goes to the combine and runs the 40, right. like I I think I heard uh, Bill mention this on his pod. Like if he goes there and he runs the 40 and it's like, whoa, that's the fastest time we've ever seen a quarterback run. I think that sort of turns like I think he's one of these guys that could go to the combine and actually like really enhance the conversation like he's going to go on the top five no matter what. 
I think now he's going to go third to the Patriots. But the more and more I start to sort of look at this thing, we don't even know who's coaching the Patriots. We don't know who's even making this decision at this point because we don't have <laughs> news on Belichick yet as we're recording. But my point being is, like, I think the closer and closer we get, the hype train is going to go. Like, I think yeah. this is the guy where the hype is going to go up more than anybody else in the draft. No, totally. And I, I didn't know that what you were saying about the downfield passing, but like that plus his speed, plus, you know, playing against these SEC defenses. I got to watch more Drake May highlights, I guess, but I, I don't know. On paper, just from what you're saying, I mean, I think I'd probably yeah. go with Daniels over him. Well, I didn't know either. And I'm like watching this stuff. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, these are highlights, but all these deep balls that he's throwing, yeah. they're like perfectly placed. And even like, and it's not like a very efficient play, but the fades in the end zone, like the ball placement is mm-hmm. really good. Now I sound like, like I'm a Mel Kuyper or something. Look at his ball placement, <laughs> right? That wasn't a Mel Kuyper, imp- uh, that wasn't a Mel Kuyper impression, but you get my point. But yeah. I, I just come across, like, and like the, the running is special. Like he sure. is just running away from D-backs. It's one thing to run away from defensive linemen and linebackers, but when you're like, even with a corner and then all of a sudden you're like, way ahead of him and in the end zone i mean that's like a different type of speed and i do think now like the modern nfl you can like look at what lamar jackson has done yeah. for that baltimore ravens team i know people say oh let's see what lamar does in the playoffs well he's the number one seed he's gonna win the mvp for the second time in what five years or whatever when was his last mvp 19 i forget what it was 19 maybe so yeah. four years second that's time right. in four years and not a lot of guys that have won two mvps in nfl history so i think you can build some really creative stuff with Jaden daniel so i'm in now I'm in. Like I'm convinced. Like, and we'll see what the Patriots decide to do there with that third overall pick. But now, like this loss to the Jets has now become fucking massive because now you're in <laughs> yeah. range. Like now I'm you're like I was depressed yeah. after the Broncos loss because I'm like they're gonna beat the totally. Jets and then they're not even gonna be in the range to take one of these quarterbacks. And the more and more now that you look into it, and you have a top three pick. You're gonna get one of them. You are gonna get one of these guys unless you're idiotic and decide not to do it. Don't count that out, Brian. That sounds uh, that sounds That's like true. it could be a possibility. Yeah, but, uh, but we'll it, see who's it, calling the shots, I guess, won't we? Yeah, and if you look at it too, like number two, Commanders are definitely taking a quarterback, and we just talked with Kyrie. I think, and he's we'll see with grew, he's now. grew up a Bears fan. I think that they're going to take a quarterback too. So, I mean, the Patriots are going to take the third guy, but I would be thrilled with Jaden Daniels now. Thrilled with him after you know I did this whole thing a couple weeks ago about like. Are they, what are they going to do? Like, is Joe Flacco going to be available? Like after the Patriots are sitting there at number five, just, I, hey, tear, it, you've torn it down to the studs in some degree unintentionally. Now you get a chance to build it back up. Like this is the one perk of having an awful season that we all went through is maybe you do now find the guy. Just, I just wonder whoever is in the draft room calling the shots, like if they're, you know, they're grading out all the quarterbacks and they love like two of the three quarterbacks. And let's say they both get drafted. Do you think they're like automatically they're like these are our top three guys on the board? Williams, Drake May and Jane Daniels. Or you think there's some other guy like Harrison or left tackle that slips in there if if their two preferred quarterbacks go first? Well, I just think it's like one of these things where, OK, maybe Jaden Daniels or Drake May say hypothetically, whoever is the guy that is there at three, even yeah. if they're not number three on that board you have to juxtapose it to the value of the position yeah like uh who's the joe alt right is the left tackle there where it's like okay well even if you may think that alt's the best player in the draft well yeah he plays a very important position right like he plays left tackle like and that's and he's absolutely massive too i think he's like three i think he's like 315 pounds or something like that but it's a it's an important position 
But even if he's the best left tackle for the next decade and a half, like, okay, you could have Joe Thomas, right? Where Joe Thomas is a great left tackle. He yeah, just played in a terrible teams. franchise. It's a great <laughs> yeah. piece to have, but you need to get the quarterback. And like going back to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago is like next year's class. It's like Shador Sanders. And then there's a lot of questions after that. Quinn Ewers. And if the Patriots are not going to be as bad as they were this year, what's their shot at getting the guy? So if the guy is there at number three, yeah. even if you don't have him ranked number three, it's just the value of the position at that particular point in the draft, you have to look at it from that perspective and say, you know what? I think we got to take the quarterback, man. And I'd be excited. No, Nobody gets more excited than a fan base when you draft the quarterback, unless you, yeah. of course, draft the wrong quarterback. Then that becomes <laughs> a controversy. But I will say this, though. Like, the Mac, I remember I was at my old employer the day that they drafted Mac Jones. And I mm-hmm. was not, like, super excited. I didn't want Mac. I actually wanted Fields. Now, maybe that would have turned out to be the wrong pick, too. Although Fields, he had a nice stretch down the end of the season here where he looked like, hey, may, like the 2021 quarterback class where it felt like there were so many guys, five guys went in the first round. Ugly. Lawrence choked down the stretch of the season. I know that he was banged up. Trey Lance, of course, now he's on the Cowboys, not even playing. Mac Jones lost his job. Who am I missing? Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson is the other guy there. And so maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe Justin Fields or... I mean, I still like Trevor Lawrence a lot. It's just, I mean, he had a disappointing season this year, of course. But I would just look at it like, so to do the story time thing is like, so I remember like I was pissed after the draft. I'm like, I don't like the pick. I don't like the pick. I don't like the pick. And then after there was rookie year, I'm like, maybe I do like the pick. Like he was okay after his rookie season, but I hated the pick at the time because I wanted fields. Now, maybe both teams end up now. Look, the Bears... They still have the number one pick, so they're going to get a new. But it is kind of crazy that like both these teams like are moving on from their quarterbacks totally. already. And that was like the 2021 draft was considered to be like this great quarterback draft. So, but I do think this like so. Getting back to my point there, I don't know. I'm going on a complete digression here, but I felt like most people disagreed with me. Like most people that night, and like I said, after Max rookie year, I turned to the point where hey, I like Mac, and then. The second year, I'm like, oh, maybe it was just the Patricia thing. Maybe they can get this right. Like, I, I wanted Max to succeed. Yeah. He was the quarterback sure. of the Patriots, and I started to certainly buy in after the rookie season that he had. But going back in time, I remember most people were like, you're an idiot. Like, you wanted a quarterback. You got a quarterback. That was the feeling of, like, most of the fan base. Not a certain media members that didn't like the draft pick. But the point being is, like, most people were in on Mac Jones. So I I feel like that will be the same thing if the Patriots draft Jaden Daniels third overall. I feel like most people are going to be excited just the fact that they now have a quarterback. Sure. I mean, I think hindsight might be a bit 2020, but Mac Jones is like one of the least sexy QB prospects in the past like 10 years. You know, it's like I was in the same boat. I wanted Trey Lance. Don't tell anyone. But that's the guy I like coming out of the draft because he's got these attributes, which I think Jaden Daniels has. But. No, Mac Jones, he just wasn't the most exciting prospect, and I guess we turned out to be right in that regard. But Well, I was just going to say, that was part of it, is the fact that you had the season of Cam Newton, where Cam Newton like couldn't throw the ball, right? right? Oh. And like it was basically the quarterback run game was your offense. And Cam, like it, it's this is not like a shot at Cam. Cam was just, at that particular point, he was damaged goods. Like his, his shoulder was, like, right. I remember at one point, like he couldn't throw a Hail Mary. Like... He didn't have the ability to throw the well, ball. Well, neither can Mac. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we would find out that Mac, he's he's kind of got a noodle arm as well. So when it comes to that, yeah, maybe true. But that was part of it. It's just like, okay, you had this one year where, yeah, you tried to replace Tom Brady. You didn't really have an answer for replacing Tom Brady. Not that anybody could, but 
then when it's like, oh, they drafted the guy from Alabama that just won a national championship, there was some excitement there. So I think the Patriots take a quarterback third overall. Everybody's going to be excited. All right, let's get to a couple emails, Jamie. That address is offthepike at gmail.com. Sure, everyone's you know talking about Belichick as they should. This is from Chris. Chris writes, why would the Patriots want Bill with new young players? He can't relate to 22-year-olds and has shown zero ability to change. I think it's funny that you think players in the huddle are saying, okay, third and eight, let's get this first down for coach. The players are not playing for Bill any more than they have been. They're playing for themselves in their own contract. It's time to move on, reset the locker room in the mood, allow young players to grow without the thought of being in Bill's doghouse for a fumble or something like that. What do you make of that, Brian? Well, I mean, going back to the Demario Douglas thing, I hated that. I said it yeah. at the pot at the time. It was against Miami. It's like, well, this guy is one of your best weapons. You're pulling him out out of principle. But I disagree with the whole idea of like 22-year-olds won't play for Bill. I would argue they were playing for Bill this season. And it's it, it, going back, like Callahan had the whole piece about it. Callahan came in the pod. Like he, and we talked about the fact that there were times after or before games where they would look up at something schematically and it would like legitimately happen. So I think Bill still gets through to the players. I don't think there was any quit in this Patriots yeah. team whatsoever. So I, I, that would not be my argument for moving on from Bill. Like my argument, if you're moving on from Bill, the reason you're doing it is the GM stuff and the offense, right? Like it's not because like to me, he doesn't have any problem connecting with players right now. I don't see that at all. Like the... J.C. Jackson situation, that's not a Bill problem. That's a J.C. Jackson situation, right? The Jack Jones issue, that's a Jack Jones issue. So I disagree with that premise that it's like, hey, Bill can't connect with young players anymore. I, I, I don't agree with that whatsoever. But if you want to say, like, it's justified to move on from Bill after we've had this period without Tom Brady where they've missed the playoffs three out of four years and they've been south of 500 three out of four years and this is the worst year and the decisions he's made with his coaching yeah. staff in terms of having Patricia two years ago. This year, we talked about it with Callahan the other day, Bill O'Brien, like, in him not getting along with, not that he didn't get along with, but he didn't trust other members of the coaching staff to the point where he was just, like, bringing everybody in to have one meeting instead of having their own position meetings, right? Like, that stuff, that stuff that is more of a reason from my perspective to move on from Bill than saying mm -hmm. he can't connect with 22 year olds. I just, I disagree with that premise. I, if you want to move on from Bill, it's totally justifiable. We talked about it. Like you can totally justify moving on from Bill. I said on multiple occasions, like I would like to have Bill back. What I didn't know and what I think would be awesome. If you got Vrabel, Adam Peters, I didn't know that was going to be oh, like well. even part of the equation here. But if, I didn't, I thought Vrabel was going to be staying in Tennessee. Did you like, so that like, that's the thing that I'll be like, yeah. if they just promote Mayo, I won't be excited. He may turn out to be a great coach and all that down the road. I, I will not be excited about that. And also considering the fact you're moving on from Belichick, if you bring in Vrabel and Adam Peters comes like Adam Peters comes and Vrabel comes, I'll be like, okay, let's go. Cause Vrabel's a good coach. I still, and I mentioned this briefly with Kyrie, but I still have that vision in my head of Belichick being pissed off and screaming at I the refs that. when he used the same move that Bill used off. against the Jets, right? Like <laughs> that's it. like think about this offseason. You bring in Vrabel, Adam Peters, and Jaden Daniels. I feel like there will be a ton of excitement and a ton of life injected back into the fan base. But in terms of like circling back to the original question, is I don't think Bill's issue is connecting with players. I think Bill's issue is his coaching staff and how he deals with the draft and all that. We've already talked about this. Like if Bill's yeah. back, he's not going to be making
making the draft picks, but the draft and how he's handled the offense. Those have been the issues from my perspective with Bill handling the coaching staff. I don't think there's been an issue with how the players listen or respond to Bill. No, I mean, a lot of the guys that are talking after the games are the captains, but you hear them talk about it every week. They're like, we're playing for Bill, playing hard, etc. So I, I agree in that regard. It seems like they're still buying in. Um, in terms of like the development, it's a, it's a weird thing. I was thinking about when you're talking to Kyrie is like, he clearly can't do wide receivers or like skill position guys, tight ends yeah. to a lesser extent. But, you know, you're talking about his quarterback tracker. I'm like, quarterback tracker overall is, is pretty good. You know, you got like he developed the best quarterback of all time, basically. <laughs> then you had Mac Jones. But even the guys in between, you know, like Matt Castle and Jimmy Garoppolo, they look the best they ever looked, I feel like, with the Patriots. So I feel like I, especially if you got McDaniels back because he was their offensive coordinator with those guys. But if you get him back, I feel like they're actually a pretty good place for quarterbacks to play. No, well, not. In, I wouldn't say anymore. Because like yeah. that, like early, like they had ta- like when they went eleven and five with Castle, he had Moss and Welker, right? Like that team had just gone undefeated, and then when you look like, I mean, Jimmy only started two games because he ended up getting injured. But that team in twenty fourteen, yeah, that team in twenty fourteen was loaded, right? They, they had loaded. Edelman, yeah, they had yeah. Gronk. Now Gronk, they had Gronk who was coming off an injury, but they still had Gronk, and they had Danny Amendola. Gronk really became Gronk again, like five six weeks into the 2014 season where he just became an all-time beast again. But my point is, like, now it's more difficult to develop quarterbacks with this current Patriots roster based on sort of yeah how it looks. No, I agree with you in terms of the GM stuff. Like, I just mean, if 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 you separate him having a horrible offensive line and no receivers from, like, the actual, I don't know, what they're talking about in the quarterback's room when he has that one-on-one meeting with a quarterback to go over yeah. opponent's defense, it's maybe... I don't know. Maybe it's stupid to separate them out because it's all the same thing. But if you get someone to help with the personnel, but he's the one coaching and you get McDaniels actually as the quarterback's coach, maybe that could work. Yeah, I'm not big on bringing Josh McDaniels back, right? Like, I, and I know, look, I've criticized Bill O'Brien plenty on this pod, <laughs> but I'm not debating. Like, I don't think you solve your problems if Belichick's back by just getting rid of Bill O'Brien and bringing Josh McDaniels. I think the most likely scenario, as I alluded to with Kyrie, is like, it's Steve Belichick as... DC, like, Josh is OC and Bill as head coach somewhere next season. That's what I think well, is the most likely scenario. Yeah, it could be. I get a little more continuity would be good for the past. There's been too much change over lately. You know what I wonder, though, is let's say, and it, it really feels like the Crafts have for a while wanted Gerard Mayo to be the replacement. Now this Vrabel thing is there. It's going to be interesting to see like if they go with Vrabel, which now is if you're telling me the choices are Gerard Mayo or Mike Vrabel. I'm going with Mike Vrabel because yeah. of the experience. He's a proven head coach, right? And so if and obviously he's a leader, guys play for him. So if that's the case, if you decide to go the Mike Vrabel direction, I wonder what happens to Mayo. Like I think he'll get some interviews, but I don't think he'll get a head coaching job this offseason if it's not the Patriots. So does he leave for a different opportunity? Because he may be pissed, right? right. If it's like we don't know exactly what was said behind closed doors, but we think we know that they were going to name Gerard Mayo as the successor to Bill Belichick. Like he was going to eventually be the next head coach of the Patriots. And it's just this Vrabel thing sort of fell in their lap. And if, if Vrabel comes here, I wonder what happens to Mayo. I would imagine that he leaves. And look, this is all hypothetical we're talking about right now. Like we yeah. could very we could find out a couple hours from now that Gerard Mayo is going to be the head coach of the world <laughs> and not a couple right. hours from now. But we could find out like that's the plan. 
right? But my, it's just a, it's a legit question. If Rabel's in a position where he or if Rabel gets the head coaching position, what happens to Mayo? I could see him leaving for a different. I could see him being pissed and leaving. Yeah, I think he'll definitely be pissed. I, I can't really see him leaving unless he gets a head coach job because I think they gave him a fat salary last year on top of promising him. So leave money on the table. But I, I don't know. He definitely wouldn't be happy about that at the very least. But um, speaking of Rabel, this is another email from Gordon. Gordon writes, big fan of the show. Listening to Bill Belichick's comments the other day, I couldn't help but think to myself, here is a guy who's signaling to the rest of the league that he's for sale and that he doesn't want slash need full control of a team for you to get him. I loved how the defense performed this season, but I'm of the opinion that Bill has to go at this point. Uh, in my eyes, Bill is gone, so does this end in a messy divorce or a clean trade? If so, how does the timing work with a new favorite coaching option, Mike Rabel? So a couple of things there. I think that Bill... And you may be on, he may be onto something too, Jamie, like that. He wasn't just talking to the crafts, but he was right. also talking to the rest of the league. But I think at that point he was like digging his heels in and trying to keep his job. Like, I think that was part of it when he referenced the control and all that. But I will say this, Callahan brought up a really good point the other day on the pod where he's like, would you, re- would he really be giving up control? Right? Like he can say that, but would he really be giving up control? Right? So I thought that was an interesting point by Callahan. But when it comes to, what he was doing the other day in that press conference, I thought that was, it could be appealing to other teams, but I think there are other teams that didn't even need to hear that from Bill. I think there are other teams across the league. Like, I think the Falcons want him. Mm-hmm. I think the Chargers could be interested in Bill Belichick. And we've been through this hypothetical with the Cowboys. If they lose, they would be interested in Bill Belichick. So I don't think he really needs to appeal to the rest of the league. That's why I think that was more directed to the crafts than it was the rest of the league. Yeah, that could be. Um, I think in terms of what he was talking about with a messy divorce versus, it seems like every day that passes and that he hasn't left, it seems like that means either he's staying or they're trying to work out a trade, right? And there was an interesting thing. Do you see, it was like the Titans owner came out and talked today about how it's not so simple to trade coaches. Like you can't just shop him to the league and say, that's the best trade. He's going there. Like the trade, basically the coach has to, they have like a no trade clause in essence. Right. So I wonder if that's what's going on behind closed door. Either he's just staying, which I guess is an option, or they're, I guess, working in tandem slightly to try to find a destination for him. Is that your take on it? My point is, or my hunch is that they're trying to figure out how this is going to happen. The like trade. they still, yeah, like they still haven't figured out how this situation is going to play itself out. Because if they are going to trade him, they have to keep him under contract for now, right? Before they move on. So maybe they, they're going to work with Bill for whatever destination yeah. that he wants to go to. So that's what I think it is. I think it's more about that. Or if there's a way to, because he's under, con- he made it abundantly clear, he's under contract for next season. So when it comes to that, like how the crafts are going to figure this out financially and compensation-wise, that's what I think the holdup is. I th- and also, like, I don't think Bill cares about a messy divorce. Like if the crafts want to fire him, I don't think he cares about the divorce being messy. I really don't. I think that the crafts do though. Like the crafts don't, Yes, they don't want this to look bad. So I think they're the ones that are concerned of it or concerned about how this ends from a PR perspective, right? I don't think Bill is. So that's what I think it's about, how the crafts are formulating this plan to move on from Bill. Yeah, I agree. I think you might as well try to get something for him. I mean, it sounds like he's if he's happy to go somewhere else, you might as well get a draft pick. Like you said, if you bring in Vrabel and you get like a first or second round pick for Belichick, I think I could live with that. Well, I don't think you're going to get that much. What did, they, what did Sean no? Payton go for? He definitely went for, he must have gone for something like that. Now, I feel like every coach, you get like a first round pick and they don't have six Super Bowls. 
Yeah, I just feel like no team is giving up a first round pick for Belichick at this point. Like, think yeah. about that. Like, you're going to give up what, like, uh, say, like, it's the 17th pick in the draft for, like, that could be an unbelievable receiver. <laughs> so, wait, did Sean Payton actually go for a first round pick? I feel like they all do somehow. Maybe Sean Payton did. The Denver Broncos agreed to trade. Belichick uh, definitely did back in the day. Yeah, he did. He did go for a first round pick. I feel like it's like weirdly the going rate, even though I hear what you're saying. I mean, seems like a lot of value to give up. Yeah, especially now. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think I wouldn't trade a if I was another team. Would you trade a first round pick for Bill Belichick? I, I don't know. It's complicated because it's like, you know, as we talked about with Callahan and Ben Johnson, obviously, is a hot candidate. But otherwise, it's like Rabel becomes available and everyone loses their mind because he's a competent coach. So I don't know. Maybe there aren't that many. There were there eight jobs right now up for grabs, and I don't know if there's eight slam dunk coaching candidates out there. Yeah, I do think this. Is a, I think this. Sorry, I'm distracted by this like Sean Payton <laughs> thing now, but I do think that, too. Like that was a team that man that that Denver situation is a mess because they were out all these draft picks from Russell Wilson, and they're possibly going to move on from Russell Wilson, and now like, going forward they're going to have his dead cat money, but. I guess if you really want Bill that bad, I mean, like, I think there could be some some compensation, There's but at value. the same point, it, yeah, if you're like the, say if you're Atlanta and you're like, okay, we could get Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick, but Bill Belichick, we have to give up something for Right. So maybe that's part of it, too, is like, maybe Belichick side's like, hey, we're not going to have as many suitors if you do have to trade me. I don't know. Like, maybe that's part of it as well. Maybe he wants like, to get fired. That could be. Yeah, maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know. I, I still can't believe the Sean Payton thing. He really got traded for a first-round pick. <laughs> People love what? him. It's like, he was all right. He had Drew Brees. Congratulations. Yeah, unreal. All right, Jamie. Well, I, I when, what's your prediction? Like, when do we find out? Do we find out? Like, we're recording right now on Wednesday. Do we find out at some point on Thursday? I think it has to happen before the weekend, right? I think it has to happen unless... Unless it doesn't happen. I mean, I, I, I honestly feel each passing moment that he's still the head coach makes it more likely that he'll be the head coach. Like, or else it would have happened already, no? What's the See, I, I, mean, think, what's the I think the opposite. If Bill was coming back and they apparently, they, they, yeah, why wouldn't they have already said something? I don't know. They're the Patriots. They work in mysterious ways. I just think they would have already said it. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, what, if you were bringing back Bill, why wouldn't you tell everybody? You know? Like, what's the holdup? I wonder if also, I mean, this maybe is outlandish, but that they've had all season to think about this and plot out plans. Like maybe he's having second thoughts craft. He's that, you know, he's 80 years old or whatever. Maybe he's getting a little shy, trigger shy at the end when the moment's actually here. Yeah, well, that's why he's going to center around Jonathan. And the other thing, Jonathan making some of these right. decisions too. The other thing I would say in just in like now that I'm thinking through this whole draft thing, I don't think Bill would want to be traded either. Because then he loses an asset, right? Even if he's going to trade down with, <laughs> right? Like true, even yeah. what, whatever round it <laughs> yeah. is, even if he plans on trading down with it, like yeah. or tra whatever he's going to do with that pick, I don't think he wants to lose the asset. Maybe they trade like a future, like eight year, eight years in the future pick after he's already going to retire. Oh yeah, he plans it out <laughs> that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be funny. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Thanks, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.com org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 